Let's take some time and pray together this morning. Father God, you are the God who gives us good news, and that good news is in you, in your son Jesus. And part of that good news includes the message of peace. And so today, as, as uh, we celebrate the gospel of peace in this Advent season, we pray for your peace to reign. We pray for peace in our world. We pray for peace in our communities. We pray for peace in our homes. At a time when our world seems very divided and people are polarized on either side of issues, uh, we pray for the ability to be the community of Jesus that offers an alternative for our world and that it would be rooted in the peace of Jesus, the peace of God that passes understanding, that we would be a people who seek peace and pursue it. So today, as we celebrate Advent, I pray for, for all those who are living in situations where they find uh, peace lacking. And so we pray for them to experience peace in all of its fullness. And we pray as a community of Jesus followers that we would embrace the call to be peacemakers as a way of celebrating Christmas and giving gifts to each other. May we be able to give the gift of peace, a peace that comes only from you. Amen. Thank you for tracking with us this morning. Just before I jump into some teaching, I wanted to offer a few highlights for us. One, many of you have been bringing in uh, materials for our hygiene kits that we partner with Mennonite Central Committee, and we provide hygiene kits. We collect them at Christmas time, and, and it's a wonderful gift to give because these go out all year long. So we kind of uh, focus on it at Christmas, but it's actually something that we can be engaged in throughout the year. So if you have supplies that you have collected for the hygiene kits, please bring them to the church. We have some totes that are out f outside of our front doors, and you can just set them in the totes, and then those will get collected. They will get put into the bags, and then those will get delivered in the new year. Also tonight, uh, we have not been able to have some of the events we wanted to have, so tonight we thought we would just offer a chance for people to connect online. Yes, on Zoom. And at 6 o'clock tonight, we have a link that is available that's been sent out to you. But also, if you go to our homepage, newlifecollingwood.com, it will be at the top, the top black bar. There will be a link there that you can click that will take you uh, to our Zoom meeting tonight. Likewise, on Christmas Eve, we have an online service that we have put together, and we're excited about uh, gathering together to celebrate online for Christmas Eve. That also is at 6 p.m., and that will go live at that time. And you can go to our homepage to click that, check the emails that you have been getting. So Zoom tonight at 6 p.m. for any who want to hop on, and uh, we'll curate a little conversation that will happen tonight. Um, and Christmas Eve, same time. We hope that you can join us. Also, share that link. And we've put out some promotion about this and invite you to invite your friends 
to join us online for Christmas Eve as we celebrate together. It's an easy thing of sharing a, a, with a few clicks and being able to invite people into gathering with us as we normally would on Christmas Eve in person. We will do that online. Okay. So I just prayed for us to experience peace, and I think that's a prayer that happens a lot this time of year. Also, when you are uh, watching TV shows or different things, people are asked what they want at Christmas, and often people will say, well, we wish for peace. We want peace in our world or peace in our communities. And it's interesting when you take the time to stop and think, okay, when we wish for peace, what are we actually wishing for? What is it that we actually want? And usually when we are talking about peace, the thing that we are describing often has to do with, I think, two things generally. One is the cessation of violence or that there'd be an end to violence. So when people wish for peace, they're talking about uh, wishing for wars to end or conflicts around the globe. And and they're, they're hoping that that will go away. So that is one way that when we wish for peace, we're often referring to that. But when we also talk about peace, I think what we mean is quietness or tranquility. And so uh, some people, particularly um, young parents, they wish for peace <laughs> at Christmas time. They just want some peace and quiet. Fill in the blank. We want to go for a walk in the woods. And when we're in places like that, we talk about them being peaceful or tranquil. So often when we talk about peace in our world, what we mean is no violence or we mean uh, quietness and tranquility. So today in our last Sunday of Advent, I would like us to spend some time talking about peace and the gift that God gives us in this gift of peace. But it is so much more than just lack of violence or quietness and tranquility. So biblically, when we, when we look at this idea of peace, the Bible describes it in one way, and Jesus himself actually embodies that for us. And it is much more than just the lack of violence. It is even a lot more than just inner peace. So we talk often about inner peace in our world today. People are, are accessing apps like Headspace or other mindfulness apps because they want to have inner peace. They're looking for that that uh, place of tranquility within themselves. And biblically speaking, and the way Jesus embodies peace for us, it is so much more than that, than just inner peace. In the church, we often talk about peace being something that we have with God. So Christians uh, will talk about having peace with God. The Apostle Paul wrote that um, because Jesus makes us right with God, we now have peace with God. And yet, biblically speaking, the concept of peace is much more than just having peace with God. Of course, it includes that, but it goes way beyond that. So when we wish for peace at Christmas, it's often more than what we realize. Last week, we looked at a passage in Isaiah chapter 9, uh, and it's about the, the child that is born to us, a son that is given to us. The government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. This is a description of who God is 
and of what God desires for his people. So when Isaiah is writing about God being called a prince of peace, Isaiah is actually describing uh, a whole state of being for people. Now, the word peace is difficult for us to get our heads wrapped around because we often equate it with the lack of violence or quietness as I was talking about. But biblically, there's another word that's used that, in, that captures the idea of peace in our English language, but it includes so much more, and it's the word shalom. And many of you are familiar with this word shalom. Jewish people still use it today as a greeting. When they see one another, they wish shalom to each other. Uh, uh, a lot of Arabic-speaking people will wish salam to each other. It's uh, the Arabic equivalent to the, the Hebrew word shalom. And so I want to talk today about this concept of peace, but from the perspective of shalom, as the Bible describes the shalom of God and the way Jesus embodies it for us today as we think about this. And so as we're looking at shalom, I want to give us a, a definition of shalom from a man named Walter Brueggemann, who's a wonderful Old Testament scholar. And this is a transcript of a conversation that he had, but I wanted to focus in on the top here. Speaking of shalom, Brueggemann says this, I would say that it is about the flourishing wholeness of creation into the purposes of God. It's a very dynamic notion. It's always underway. It's always in process, and we never finalize it. We take incremental steps along the way and try to create safer space for the of how he describes it's the flourishing wholeness of creation into the purposes of God. But then at the end, he adds this bit that Part of what we do is we try to create more space so that more people can experience the flourishing wholeness of the purposes of God. And so that's this kind of working definition that I'm using today. Understanding this, we could spend uh, three months studying the concept of shalom and still not capture everything that it implies. So when we simply translate this word shalom into the word peace, it loses so much of its meaning and so much of its richness. Nonetheless, today we're going to talk about the shalom that God wants for you, the shalom that God wants for all of his creation. And we're going to use a passage of scripture, not from Isaiah 9, but from another prophet uh, which follows Isaiah, the prophet Ezekiel. And in this series, we're using the prophets to work through the Advent season, but we're also showing how the prophets point us ahead to Jesus and look forward to his coming and what he would bring to our world. So in Ezekiel 37, 26 and 27, God is speaking through the prophet Ezekiel, and, and he says this through Ezekiel, I will make a covenant of peace with them. Let me tell you about the them first. The them that God is talking about are the, the two divided um, people groups in the nation of Israel. So at this point, there was the southern tribes of Judah and the northern tribes of Israel. And they often warred against each other. There was a rift that happened um, before this time. And they are divided people. And in Ezekiel 37, that is the chapter of Scripture that talks about uh, Ezekiel and the dry bones, the vision of the dry bones. Some of you will be familiar with that. And then after this vision he has of God incarnating these dry bones about putting flesh on them, then he, God says, Israel, take two sticks and on one stick write 
Israel, on the other stick, write Judah, and put them together and hold them up in your hand. And that will be a symbol of what I'm going to do for these people. I am going to reunite them, bring them back together. And then God says, I will make a covenant of peace with them. So the them is the, is the two kingdoms that are brought together symbolically in Ezekiel's hands. And God says, the covenant I make will be everlasting. I will give them their land and I will increase their numbers and I will put my temple among them forever. The idea of God's temple is about God's presence. So God is saying, I am going to be with them. In fact, he, he makes it more clear. He says, I will make my home among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. So here's God saying, Israel, or Ezekiel, I want you to symbolically show these people how I am going to bring them together and they are going to be one and they are going to experience my shalom. Not just the lack of fighting, but they are going to flourish in wholeness within the purposes of what God desired for creation originally. And it's this idea of bringing us back to what God originally wanted for us at the beginning of creation. And God's promising to bring them together. Now, here's the thing. This is five, six hundred years before Jesus arrives on the scene. When Jesus does arrive on the scene, the wholeness, the coming together, experiencing the peace of God still has not happened. In fact, the animosity between the southern tribes and the northern tribes kind of grew. But the, the idea of the northern tribes changes a little bit. As you come into the New Testament and you read through the gospel, the historical accounts of Jesus, you read about a people group called the Samaritans. And the animosity between the Samaritans and the Jews of the day was, was rampant. The Samaritans were representative of those northern tribes that Ezekiel is, is prophesying about in Ezekiel 37. So when Jesus comes on the scene, they are still not together, and people were likely wondering, is it ever going to happen? On Christmas Eve in our service, we're going to ask that question, is it possible to have peace? People were wondering that at the time of Jesus, and Jesus enters into the scene and then he begins to bring about a peace, but not in the way they were expecting. See, the peace that many of the people in Jesus' day were expecting was a peace that would come through conquest, through military conquest. So in Zechariah chapter 9, another passage about peace that we read this morning, uh, they're told that their king would come riding into the city on a donkey, which was a little bit odd because kings ride in on horses, on powerful steeds, not on these uh, animals of humility. And yet in verse 10 in Zechariah chapter 9, uh, it says that God would bring peace to the nations. And then, of course, the rest of that chapter is about how they would go out and conquer all these nations with the sword. But Jesus completely reinterprets that passage in Zechariah 9. You read about it in John chapter 12 as he rides into the city on a donkey and he interprets that passage to be pointing to him. And the peace that he offers is not a peace that happens through conquest. It is a peace that happens through self-sacrifice, through love, mercy, and forgiveness. About being willing to die for even those who are trying to kill you as a way of establishing his peace. And so Jesus takes the symbolic action of Ezekiel, bringing the two sticks together of God's covenant of peace, and he says, this is now going to be fulfilled in myself, that not only will Israel be united and experience the shalom of God, 
But all of creation now has the opportunity to be filled with God's shalom, to experience the flourishing wholeness of creation within the purposes of God. So the early Christians understood this, and the Apostle Paul, writing about Jesus, writes this in Ephesians chapter 2. Jesus himself is our peace. He came and he preached peace or shalom. He is our shalom to you who were far away, and he preached shalom to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So the Apostle Paul is saying, Jesus is our shalom. God wants what's best for you, and Jesus is proof of that because he is the essence of shalom. The way the Bible describes shalom, Jesus embodies for us. Jesus lives that out, shows how it's possible, and then he invites us into that very shalom. So Ephesians Uh, 2 says that Jesus is our shalom. In Isaiah chapter 9, he writes about the one that would be given would be called the Prince of Peace. Shalom rests with God. And it requires for us to embrace the way of Jesus and to experience the shalom of God requires a, a complete change of mind and a change of heart. You know, when Jesus came and he wanted to bring the good news and he wanted the world to see the good news rested within him that he is the peace that we long for the shalom that we want to experience he helped us understand it would require a complete change of heart and mind a complete reworking or reframing of our understanding of what that looked like and it was wrapped up in this idea of the kingdom of God so when Jesus came He often preached repentance. Now, here's what's interesting. In the church, we have often equated repentance with people repenting from their sins. Yet, when you read through the Gospels and Jesus is talking about repenting, he's connecting it to the idea that the kingdom of God is present. So, very seldom will you see Jesus saying, repent from your sins. What you will see him saying is you need to repent or change, have a complete reworking of your paradigm or your worldview because the kingdom of God is here now. That passage in Isaiah that calls the one who would come a prince of peace, in the very next verse says that his government of justice will last forever. It is not a passage about the church and having peace with God and getting to enjoy it when we go to heaven. It's about God's government. It's about God ruling and reigning now. Now, we're not talking about creating a Christian nation. When Jesus comes and he says the kingdom of God is here, what he is saying is that God is at work now offering us what we have always longed for. But it comes in ways that you typically don't expect. And one of those ways is how we get to experience God's shalom. And that is through Jesus. And it comes at a very different standard than what we experience in our world today. So Jesus says, repent. You've had to turn from the way that you think it can be achieved and turn instead to God and experience his shalom here and now. So everything about this concept of peace and shalom, biblically speaking, it rests with God. Jesus embodies that for us and makes it possible. So everything about peace rests with God. But incidentally, 
we realize that it actually starts in our own heart. So when we wish for peace in this world, one of the realizations that we must wake up to is that what we're asking for is for it to begin within us. In Ezekiel 37, he's talking about God's covenant of peace. But before that, in Ezekiel 36, he is talking about how God would change people's hearts. Let's have a look at what God says through Ezekiel in chapter 36. Speaking to Israel, God says, I will take out your stony, stubborn heart, and I will give you a tender, responsive heart, and I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey all of my regulations. I love this. Your stony, stubborn heart, gone. Now a tender and a responsive heart. What a beautiful picture of what God is able to do, not just for individuals, but for entire nations of people or entire people groups in offering them his peace. And God says, I will put my spirit in you. All through chapter 37, Isaiah keeps talking about the the vision of the dry bones is about God putting his breath into those people and giving them new life. It's the same word for spirit as it is for breath, that God puts life into people. And to experience God's shalom is to experience life in all of its fullness and in all of its grandeur. And the invitation is for us to turn from what we think is going to bring peace and turn instead to God and discover a a shalom in Him that is so much more than just the lack of violence or quietness or, or our own way of finding inner peace that It is about experiencing and flourishing and wholeness and well-being and prosperity. But not just for you, but for everyone, including those that are divided from you, including those that we look at as the other, including even our enemies. So when it comes to Jesus being our peace, Jesus actually calls us into embodying that peace with him. Scripturally, we've got this wonderful um, description of what shalom is. Jesus embodies that for, the, for us and then invites us as his followers to embody that for the world. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Now, we talk about that a lot in the church, particularly in Anabaptist circles, and what we equate that with is people who oppose war or oppose violence. And being a peacemaker, when you understand the concept of shalom, is so much more than just working against violence. It's about actively seeking more space for more people to experience God's shalom, the flourishing of all creation into the purposes of God. So if the church is to be about peacemaking, then that means... We are about seeking the flourishing of all people. And as Brueggemann says, we think globally, but we act locally in how this gets worked out. So part of seeking the the flourishing wholeness of other people is to also find out where there is injustice taking place in this world economically, um, socially, politically, relationally, spiritually, psychologically. 
And when we see people being oppressed as peacemakers, we address that and we confront that. And of course, what that means is we're willing, like Jesus, to move out of our comfort into areas of discomfiture so that others might experience the wholeness, the well-being that we are experiencing. And it's a wonderful invitation to partner with him in making more space for more people to experience God's shalom. So maybe some of the questions we need to start asking is this. Where is there a lack of shalom in our community? Where are people being prevented from experiencing God's shalom? How could we address that issue? Who is it that is experiencing the lack of God's peace? What do we need to do to be able to make a difference for them? Let me give you a more concrete example. This time of year at Christmas, uh, we spend a lot of time, particularly churches, but lots of other people groups, uh, organizations, collect food for people that are living with food insecurity, um, that need the food bank and assistance. And lots of food is collected for them, and every year it's given. Maybe one of the questions we need to start asking is, why is it that there's a growing number of people that are living with food insecurity, and what could we do to actually prevent those people needing to have assistance with acquiring food? What is wrong in our system? What is broken that needs to be fixed? And how willing are we to be a part of that solution? There's an expression, give a person a fish and you feed them for a day. Give a, teach a person to fish and you feed them for a lifetime. And sometimes I think when it comes to things like poverty and people that are in food insecurity, we think, well, all we need to do is teach them how to be better at saving and how to be more wise in how they spend. But you know, that expression, give them a fish, feed them for a day, teach them to fish and feed them for a lifetime, sounds good. But when we teach them to fish, they go to the lake to go fishing and find that there's a fence around the lake and they're not allowed in. And you have to match a certain criteria to be allowed in to actually fish. And sometimes that's the way the systems work in our world. Some people flourish at the expense of others. And in the church, part of being peacemakers is to call that out as an injustice. And then to be willing to work towards resolving that issue. And it's not just as simple as, well, just teach them. Sometimes the system is broken and it won't let people in. It's that inside-outside creating others, othering people, naming them names that don't belong to them. See, we're called to practice shalom. And as one author says, Donald Craybill, in The Upside Down Kingdom, a book that he wrote so long ago, he said, you know, there's no guarantee of success in pursuing shalom. Its beauty rests in that it's a witness to the love of God for all people. God's shalom is for all people, and it's a beautiful witness to that. So what does peacemaking look like today when we're called into, into not only wishing shalom for people, but actually working for it? I want to give you one story, and it's something that's been happening in the last months, a good news story coming out of the pandemic. Our high school students, particularly at CCI, uh, classes end at 1 or 1.30, but the buses don't leave until 3 or 3.30. I am not sure who thought up the beauty of that, but... 
so there are a lot of students that have about an hour and a half of time on their own, and they're told you can't be on school property hanging out, so go away, don't bother us. So what's happened, there's a church right beside the high school, Hope Chapel, and a lot of the, some of the students have been hanging out at Hope Chapel, and they're often referred to as pit kids. They're the smoking pit kids, the ones that are kind of like, yeah, I'm not sure I want to hang out with you. Um, but there's a lot of them hanging out at the church, and the church was struggling with what to do. And uh, a couple that attend New Life here, Aaron and Danielle White, who work with Youth Unlimited, actually are are working uh, with Hope Chapel and, and partnering with these students, creating a safe place and time slots for them to hang out and be together. And Christopher, our youth director, has been partnering with them, as have some other churches. So there's several churches working together to seek the, the, the flourishing wholeness for this young group of people. And it's a beautiful picture of trying to create a place of shalom. But here's where it gets really interesting. One young man... Uh, came one day just a week ago or so and he brought $150 and he said, could you use this to buy more hot chocolate and snacks so that, so that more of us could enjoy this time that we're having here after school every day? That is an example of peacemaking at his own expense, whether it was his parents' money or his, I don't care. Um, this young kid brought something to create more space for more people to experience the flourishing of creation in the way that it was meant to happen in the context of community. And that is a beautiful image of shalom. Jesus is inviting us into being peacemakers with him, not just as individuals. When you do it as an individual, wonderful, brilliant, perfect, keep doing it. But it makes you a nice person. As a community, when we come together and we live out what shalom looks like, that becomes something that people take notice of. And what the scriptures describe as God's shalom, Jesus embodies and invites us to embody for the world. And the message is that God wants what is best for you. He wants you to have his peace, and Jesus is proof of that. And Jesus invites us to be peacemakers, not just speaking out against violence and particularly resisting the urge to use violence to achieve peace, which is impossible. You will never use violence to achieve peace, ever. Instead, shalom comes through a different way, through that Jesus-shaped lens of looking at the world. And Jesus says, I want what's best for you, to experience my shalom, flourishing in all of, all of its wholeness and well-being within the purposes of God. Jesus invites you, he invites me to be part of that pursuit. So the question I leave you with is this. Over the coming weeks and months, how can we as a community become better peacemakers? pursuing the shalom, the, the active, flourishing wholeness of all of creation within the purposes of God. Maybe we'll talk about that tonight at 6 o'clock and have an ongoing conversation about that. But I leave you to think about that. And if you have some ideas and suggestions, let's start that conversation. Shoot them back to us, and we'll see where that leads. And together, we can find some new ways of being peacemakers, wishing peace on earth for everyone. Amen. Finish with this prayer. 
May the God of hope fill you with all joy and shalom as you trust in him so that you might overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the God of shalom, of peace, be with you all. Amen. We will see you Christmas Eve, 6 o'clock, or tonight at 6 o'clock. God bless.